Hey, Catholic Divas, have you ever considered how to implement some sort of spiritual life? I've talked about many practices on this podcast, but today I am interviewing Kylie Hine, who specializes in helping you with your own plan for life. So come on into the podcast and let's listen to what she has to say. Hello, Catholic Divas. Welcome to Cycles and Sanctity Podcast. I am Mama Jane, wife to Steve for almost 37 years. Mother of six wonderful children, fertility awareness instructor, and a Catholic mindset coach. Are you confused about your cycle? Do you want to learn how charting your cycles can give you insight not only to your health, but your mental and emotional state as well? And most importantly, using this information to draw closer to God and pursue your path to holiness? If you answered yes, then you are in the right place. Go grab your journal and your favorite pen and let's do this. Welcome back, Catholic Divas. I hope you are having a wonderful September. I am excited to bring you another interview. This time it's with beautiful Kylie. She is a Catholic mindset coach and a podcast host. Her podcast name is Persistence in Prayer. So go find that podcast and start listening to her. She has a mission to bring souls back to Christ through prayer. She helps women who want to do it all, eliminates anxiety and overwhelm, by implementing meaningful prayer practices that foster a great trust in God. And Kylie resides in Nebraska with her two children and her incredible husband, Russ. So welcome, Kylie. Thank you so much for joining us on Cycles and Sanctity. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited and feel blessed to be here. Uh, One of the things that I have come to discover, the beauty of the Catholic Church, and especially with our Catholic coaching community, is really acknowledging each and every human being and their gifts and contributions. I have this memory. When we first started homeschooling, we were in Georgia, and we had just joined a Protestant homeschool group. And we did a field trip to the Rose Garden in Atlanta. And I remember standing there for hours and hours and hours going through this garden with so many different types of roses. Like you wouldn't even imagine all the different types of roses. But then I remember sitting there meditating about not just even the different names of the different roses that they were sometimes they were the same color, but then even just really noticing each rose within that bush. Mm, Amen. And that's really what I feel when I interact with our Catholic coaches or other Catholic leaders that are really having this desire to bring the kingdom of God and help others in their faith. And that's what I see in you. You're just a beautiful soul. We've just connected in such a deep way. But I want to hear from you. Tell us your journey about your own prayer life and like, why is that your mission? Yeah. Oh, such a good question. (laughs) There's a very long version of this. I'll try to give you the shorter version or we'll be here all day. So I'm a cradle Catholic. I was raised by a Catholic mother and my father grew up in the Baptist church, was very active in the missionary church. But then when he and my mom got married, kind of stopped going. So I would hear about scripture at home from him, but it wasn't a frequent thing. And the parish where I grew up was very, very small. So there was some catechesis, but it wasn't overly nurtured kind of as I grew up because there wasn't a large Catholic community. I was just in a very small town. So 
while our diocese that I am actually back in right now, the Lincoln Diocese in Nebraska is booming, this particular church where I was, you know, there just wasn't a lot of, of active community to nurture my faith life. And then I went on to a Lutheran college and again, my Catholicism was not nurtured there. And so I fell away from the church a little bit. I started teaching at a very predominant Catholic high school. And it was actually a lot of the students that really pulled me back into my faith. It was God offering these windows of opportunity that I would often reject to lead things like Handmaids of the Lord to go help on retreats. And I felt so unworthy and so just not the right person. I just had this deep belief that I was not the right person for this, that I was too sinful, that I was too unworthy, just a lot of wounds from my past and things that were getting in the way. But little by little, I kept receiving those invitations and eventually said yes. And throughout all of that, going on these retreats, I started to find my faith again. And I just found such deep humility in some of these students who were going through their own struggles, but would invite me to come pray with them or invite me to adoration. And there was one 16-year-old girl in particular who I still connect with. She still sends me a Christmas card every single year, but she was going through such a deep struggle, a spiritual battle. And she would invite me to pray with her. And she would tell me, I don't know if I believe in God, but yet she was still praying. She was still going to adoration. And I think for me, that was a big part of my journey back to God. So over time, lots of different pieces in there, but I really felt on fire when I was speaking on these retreats and another invitation, a friend invited me to check out a ministry program, which happened to be at a Jesuit university. So I got my master's in ministry all the while I was still teaching. And then little by little, I have just found my way, deepening my faith, growing in prayer and the closer you grow to God, the more you understand who he calls you to be. And so as I have grown closer to him, he has just really revealed to me that this is where I want you. This is the work I desire you to be doing and to stay close to me, to stay persistent in prayer and show others how to do the same. Oh, that's so beautiful. So, so beautiful. I love this story. One of the things I want to focus on that you said And I really would like my listeners to focus and reflect on this is that, Kylie, you said that when you were called to, when you were invited to go on these retreats, because of your own lack of catechesis, evangelization, understanding your Catholicism, you quote unquote, felt unworthy. Mm -hmm. And first of all, I can so resonate with that. That's part of my own story. I was Catholic, but I didn't know what that meant. There's more to it in my own story. Like I'm American, but I didn't know what that meant because we lived overseas. And anyway, but that feeling of being unworthy and saying no to our Lord because we feel unworthy. There's so many I see, and I'm probably speaking to that one person in the audience that feels unworthy, that knows you are being called by God for some sort of mission, whether it is a professional mission or whether it's in a ministry, but you feel quote unquote unworthy. I want to exhort you and I want to encourage you that God has prepared you. And so I really want you to dig into this interview. This is going to be a a powerful, powerful interview. 
because you said something also very profound. And for me personally, we were talking off recording Mm -hmm. of what's going on in my own life. What I heard you say was the Lord was calling me to a deeper prayer life and to stay close to him. And that my friend is like, that's what I keep telling people. Just stay close to Jesus, just stay close to Jesus. But then sometimes especially when we're beginning our spiritual walk with the Lord. Prayer is this nebulous thing. At least I remember feeling that way. It's one of the reasons why I chose almost 28 years ago to start reading the Liturgy of the Hours because I didn't really know how to pray. I mean, I I would throw up prayers, right? And I ask Mm -hmm. this all the time when I teach my baptism class at the parish that I serve. I'll ask them, how do you pray? How do you spend time with the Lord? What is your relationship with the Lord? And they're like, oh, I pray all all the time. I'm like, yeah, you're talking, but you're not listening. Right. Tell us about that part of the journey, about like your deeper understanding of prayer. And the second part of that question is, why did you think this is the key? This is your mission to teach people to pray persistence in prayer. Hmm. So your first question talking about how did I learn how to pray? I mean, I think I learned like most of us, we learned the vocal prayers and growing up, I remember at family get togethers, my dad, he would have us say the prayer before meals and then he would finish. And, you know, he could just very openly speak from the heart and ask for blessings and, and all of these things. And I also remember going to youth groups that was all Christian denominations And they would ask for teens to lead prayer. And it was never the Catholic kids that raised their hands because we didn't know how to do that. We didn't really know what that was. And I was always inspired by the kids who were like, man, I would be terrified to do that. I would say the wrong thing. And I think prayer is coming to understand that it's not really us who's speaking. It's the Holy Spirit activating what's already inside of us. And those first couple words might be ours. But after that, that's just things being revealed that are already inside. And so when we can let go of that perfection and accept that there are going to be pauses when we pray, that's the Lord working and that's okay. There are going to be times when we might say the wrong words and that's okay too. But like you said, taking the time to listen. And so vocal prayer was very much what I knew. My early prayer life consisted of the routine that I knew from childhood, which was you say you're our father, your hail Mary, your glory be, thank you, God, and you go to bed. <laughs> But I think little by little, as I learned more about different spiritual backgrounds, not faith backgrounds, obviously all Catholic, but about the different saints and the different ways that they prayed, I think that really opened my eyes a little bit. And then just little by little, getting more comfortable with saying my own prayers to God and prayer journaling was a huge, huge thing for me because my brain can work very, very fast. It is very easily distracted. And so as I was kind of coming back into the fullness of the faith and really taking this to a new level, eventually started working with a spiritual director. That was one of the requirements of my master's program. I really started journaling more and more. And I found that when I would prayer journal, things that I didn't realize were on my mind or my heart would come out on paper. And so that was really powerful for me. And it's still powerful for me because it helps me focus my mind on God when there are a lot of distractions. I don't use it all the time. Obviously, it's important to just sit and rest with God, but I found it's very helpful. And then also when struggling or when I feel very far from God, I can go back and read my prayer journal and just see how intimately close I was with him and am with him. Like he's still there. 
he hasn't changed. It's my mind that's drifted or just outer influences feeling like I'm pulled away. But being able to go back to those words has been so powerful. And that is really kind of how it started for me was being able to write those words. And then little by little, I was a head volleyball coach being able to say short prayers before or after a game and kind of dipping my toe in the water. And then through Catholic coaching, immersing myself in my spiritual direction courses where Sometimes the professors will lead or they will ask other people to pray and hearing just the beautiful ways that different people pray is so inspiring to me and a little intimidating at first, but you come to understand that we each are given this gift to pray and we bless others with it when we allow ourselves to share that gift. That's so beautiful. I have to share with you about my own journey on prayer journaling. I think it was a a Protestant friend that introduced me to that. I remember I did that during college and I would get up in the morning and I would open my Bible and then I would write this letter to Jesus. But I remember, like you said, looking back on your prayer journal is always a good way of seeing where the journey is. There was this period of my life and I thought that I was having this conversation with the Lord about professional direction. Mm -hmm. And when I looked back, it was right when I was dating my husband and I was actually discerning whether I should marry him or not. <laughs> and I didn't realize like in my head, I thought I was having this conversation with the Lord about what direction do I need to go professionally and da, da, da. But what I was writing was my vocation and how my husband, now my husband, but at the time my boyfriend, and it was just so interesting when I, I didn't even read it until like we were been married like two years or something. And I found mm -hmm. it, I found my journal and I was reading, it, I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, I didn't even realize like you were telling me back then that yes, he's the one, you know? So mm -hmm. it's one of those things that I love to do is to prayer journal as well. And mm -hmm. I could write pages and pages and pages. And another side note is when we first got married, we went to marriage encounter and, mm -hmm. and marriage encounter encourages you to write, but more specifically your emotions and then share mm -hmm. it with each other. Now that I look back, I can see that, oh, I had just been practicing this for so much longer, but my husband at the beginning of the, that weekend, he didn't have the skill. And so literally they would like give us 10 minutes or something. And then we were required to go back and share and I would literally have in 10 minutes, I would have like five or six pages written and he would mm -hmm. have a paragraph <laughs> and it was just, so, it was just so funny. And well, now thanks be to God, I've understood he's phlegmatic and he's, is melancholic and I'm a very fast thinker. I'm an outward processor. I think very quickly anyway. So just the different temperaments, right. And different yes. ways of praying, but one of the other things you said, which was so beautiful, and I just want to kind of share another story, is the way the saints pray. Because when I came back, I, I was like, I want to be all in and being Catholic, but I don't know what that means. So I just made this decision. Okay, saints are people that have already got it. And then doctors of the church, they really have it. So I would tend to, if I had to choose to read about somebody, I would choose to read about a doctor of the church. And I remember... When I was introduced to St. Uh, Alphonsus Liguori, he's the yeah. founder of Re the, the Redemptress. And I was attracted to him because my husband had actually gone to junior sem 
with the Redemptorist. So there was this love of the Redemptorist order in him Mm -hmm. that I did not understand at all. And I wanted to get to know my husband a little bit better. And St. Liguori opened my eyes to such a passion. He's Italian, first of all, and I'm Italian Mm -hmm. by nature. But this love for the Lord and the way he prays, he's so passionate and emotional. He gave me permission to, and this sounds kind of crazy, but this older woman at one parish, she would always come up and she would literally kiss the statue of of Our Lady. And I always kind of felt like that, that was just weird. But like now, and that's what I did with the kids is like, when they were little, when we would genuflect, I'd say, blow a kiss to Jesus, to the tabernacle, say, I love you to Jesus. And his stations across are just, I cry almost every single time. They're beautiful. (laughs) But Jesus, my love, Jesus, my love. That's one of the phraseologies that he always uses. Jesus, my love. I love and, you above all things. Yep. Yes. I, it's like yes. The, the prayer that goes through my head every morning. Actually, it's the background on my screensaver on my phone. Oh, that's so funny. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, saints. <laughs> so so you said you went to get your master's in spiritual direction. Is that right? So my master's is in ministry. Okay. Uh, so there was some overlap with the Christian spirituality programs, but it was a smaller group, which I appreciated. And like you said, if I'm going to be Catholic, I'm going to go all in. So my thought was, if I'm going to be Catholic, I'm going to know how to defend my Catholic faith. Mm. If I'm going to do this, I want to know that I actually believe what the Catholic church teaches and do enough studying that I can say, this is truth. And this is what I believe. Now, do I remember all of it? No, I don't. I'm not a theologian. Apologetics is not my super strength, but I have done enough digging and not found any holes to know that this is what I believe. And as I continue to learn and as I continue to grow, there are no holes. And I have a great enough relationship with God that I trust that this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And you asked about why persistence in prayer. I think that's part of it too, is I've seen the power of prayer life of the transformation as someone who was always a doer. And I still am. Achiever is my number one Clifton strength. So I like to do things, but over and over again, the Lord has invited me to rest. And whether it's been through pregnancies that have been really difficult, through illness, through any time that I am becoming very self-sufficient and pushing too hard, it almost never fails. I will get very sick. And I've learned this is the Lord inviting me to rest. And to understand, and I'm sure we'll talk about St. Ignatius later, but just really that reflection and the patterns of knowing what is going on. And God is not inviting me to push and push and push all the time. He is inviting me to sit and to pray. And another saint that, again, a God moment, I was on my way to work one morning and they always did a saint of the day on the radio. I happened to have the radio on that day and they talked about St. Isidore the farmer. And St. Isidore the farmer would always pray in the morning and people said, you know, you can't get your work done. You can't be a successful farmer. You're not going to be able to feed your family, all these things. But he would spend that time in prayer every single morning and his work would be finished with the angels. And so I really took that to heart and started to just, even if it was 30 seconds in the morning to hit my knees and pray for 30 seconds or And just gradually build that in after a volleyball game, go sit in the church chapel before I came home. It didn't matter if it was 11 o'clock at night, go sit in the church chapel for 15 minutes 
and pray before I came home. And what I found through all of those things, and the more I incorporated prayer, the less my anxiety was, the more peaceful I was. I was a better mom. I was a better teacher. I was able to let things go because my identity was no longer wrapped up in what I was doing. My identity became fuller and fuller and continues to grow in Christ. And and I want that for other people because I see so much of what they are going through that I very much went through. And I'm sure we'll continue to to go through. But if I can just help them get started, and I've seen it in my clients too, I, I had someone message me this week. We had one meeting talking about a plan of life and, and can we make this one little tweak for you to try, just try this. And she messaged me about how beautiful it was and how thankful she was. And that's what God does for us. It has nothing to do with me. It's very much just the Lord is giving us an invitation. And sometimes we need someone else to help us accept that invitation. And then he does the rest. Oh, that's so beautiful. I want to go back to St. Isidore, the farmer, because one of the things that I know about him is that not only did he stop and pray and yes, get ridiculed about, you're not going to have enough time to finish your work, but he also would send his guardian angel to mass. Mm. And I remember there were days and I want to get into this whole plan of life because you and I resonate in that aspect Mm -hmm. of it. But some days when I homeschooled, going to mass was part of our curriculum. We would go to morning mass and then we'd come home and then we start the day. But there were some days because the baby was up all night or whatever that we couldn't get to mass. And because St. Isidore taught me that, I would ask my guardian angel, okay, guardian angel, please go to mass for us. Tell Jesus how much I love him. And then Alphonsus Liguori taught me that spiritual communion prayer that I love so much. We started praying that as part of our morning prayer with my kids. So let me see if I can remember like, okay, so you started your master's. It was in ministry. You learned a lot about the saints and all the different spiritualities. And that is one of those fascinations that I have also been on a journey because for me, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll be a third order Franciscan. Oh, maybe. (laughs) Yes. And it's like, nope. Nope, 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 nope. So it's like, I know a lot about a lot of things. And part of it is now I understand the Gallup strengths, which Mm -hmm. Catholic coaches are trained on. And my number one strength is learner. My number five strength is achiever, but I'm always wanting to learn and I want to learn, but I've realized I want to learn until I get full. And then I'm like, okay, I'm satisfied. Now I don't need Mm -hmm. to, I don't need to be the master of I don't need to be a third order Carmelite or a third order Franciscan or a Regnum Christi apostolate. I will tell you that the one apostolate spirituality that I have maintained for over probably, well, 94 is when I was introduced is the Legion Mary. And Mm. so St. Louis Marie de Montfort, the total consecration. And I'm an auxiliary member at the moment because for whatever reason, the active members here it doesn't fit, but I pray those prayers and my thought process is always Marian. And I'll pull out my Legion book a number of times. A long time ago, I was a president of a presidium and I taught kids. Anyway, that's been my one consistent. If somebody had to ask me, what's your spirituality? I would Mm -hmm. say probably Marian. And and a lot of people don't know about the Legion Mary and the, where I live, hardly anybody knows about the Legion Mary. It's like this secret 
<laughs> but that's Louis Marie de Montfort. That's what he talks about, yeah. right? It's like the humility of Our Lady, and yet this powerful weapon of the Legion of Mary and the obedience and everything like that. So it sounds like your spirituality has become Ignatian. I would say it's very much a combination, kind of like you. I'm a learner. I'm also high input. So Ignatian has definitely been a foundational piece. I have done the consecration to Mary and anyone who's listening, please, I would just highly encourage you to do the full one. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful and life-changing. I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but it, it truly is. It's been so beautiful for my faith life. Ignatian definitely is in there. And I would also say Carmelite. I have a very strong attraction to the Carmelites and St. Teresa of Avila has been placed herself in my life <laughs> in a way going back to just my pregnancy with my first, with my daughter and who's named Aveline. Oh, beautiful. And that came from St. Teresa of Avila. So really just learning more about Carmelite spirituality. So I love St. Ignatius for the discernment mm-hmm. and that piece. And then Teresa of Avila and the, all the Carmelites, I think are incredible but just kind of being drawn to the Carmelite spirituality as well. That's so funny. I I can see where you and I just resonate because, well, as far as the Carmelite, St. Teresa of Avila always frightened me because I tried years ago reading her interior castle and it was just Mm -hmm. so profound and so big. And I remember hearing a priest talk about how strong she was And so the Carmelite that I'm very devoted to, and my middle daughter is named after her, is St. Therese of Lozio, because I'm like, I'm a little soul. And that's one Mm -hmm. of those things that the Lord has continually reminded me. You're just a little soul. Fall into my arms, fall into my arms. You're a little soul. You're just toddling. And it gives me great comfort when I remember reading the story of a soul years and years and years ago, and I remember the reflection, like I was shocked. Now I understand it's her confidence in God's promises, not in her own self. But when I first read it, I remember being shocked at, I felt like it was arrogant. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, she's really arrogant that the Lord is going to do these things to her. Yeah. Then I've been reading, and again, I keep going back to to St. Therese. And so one of the most beautiful, profound books I read last year was The Passion of St. Therese of Lisieux. And it was the documentary of like all of her suffering during her tuberculosis and Mm -hmm. the love the, the sisters had for her, the beauty of her death, the glory. Literally, there were points where they would try to move the blanket and her body was so sensitive. And yet she didn't want to offend this sister who was trying to help her. Mm-hmm. And yet the sister was trying to put the blanket on her. And she was just like, I don't want that on me because it hurts, but I don't want to tell right. you that because it was just this beautiful show of interior life of a saint and holy death. People think I'm crazy, but is one of my, I, I live in the Southwest, Viva Cristo is like one of my mantras, my banner, because I, I want to be prepared for holy death and I want to be ready yeah. to die and see the Lord. I, you know, side note, I, ha- I had a near death experience with my last one. And so I've just always understood that every single breath I take from that moment on is truly a gift from God. And if he decides to stop that breath, then I pray that I'll be in the state of grace to be ready. You're ready. And then, of course, St. Joan of Arc is also one of my patronesses as well. But she didn't write very much, but I just love her confidence in God. And I think that's part of that initiation of prayer is 
we have to first come and understand truly God is good and desires good for us. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where Ignatius goes, right? And he was another saint that way back when I was afraid of him, spiritual exercises, all that good stuff. And then Father Gately reading Consoling the Heart of Jesus. I, I read that about five or six years ago. And that totally, I was like, wait, this is Ignatius? Wait, I do this all the time. I didn't even know this was Ignatius. <laughs> and he definitely has been guiding me with this podcast. But share with me your relationship with Ignatius and, and how Ignatius spirituality has fit into your life. Yeah. So I remember as I was finishing up my master's, I was doing a one-on-one -on -one class with the vice provost of my university because I had one class left and that's just, <laughs> that's the only way I could finish so I could graduate. And so I was sitting outside her office and there was like a little pamphlet on St. Ignatius. So I had been through a couple years of schooling at this school, but I hadn't really sat down and like read the story of St. Ignatius. And so I sat there and was reading it and I just really loved how he was so moved by the saints and that has resonated with me. And the phrase that always has stuck with me is finding God in all things. And I've kind of even read it differently, which I, I love even more is finding the movement of God in all things. And so kind of this Ignatian spirituality of, of where's God moving in all of the things there was a priest who talked about nation spirituality, especially as you get into the exam and is like, you have this junk drawer of a day. If you think of the junk drawer and you're like sifting through it, finding, trying to find all of the treasures, right? So whatever's going on, whatever's crazy, the struggles, the joys, where's God in it? And that first hit me in one of my first spiritual direction meetings. I had had this really terrible day with a student, just a, a really difficult student in my workplace. And I struggle with I'm choleric, so quick to react, anger. And I was just really struggling with it and letting it go. And my spiritual director just, one, she'd always ask me, well, have you prayed about it? And two, okay, just go back to that moment. Where was God? Where was he in the room? What was he mm. watching? What would he tell you? And so I think that was where the first deep impact where it was like, okay, where is God moving in my life at all times in every moment? Where is he? Because that's the beauty of Ignatian spirituality is everything for the, the greater glory of God and, and looking to recognize like the movements within the whole person and the importance of reflection and looking for patterns. And of course, the discernment of spirits, his rules have also been very transformative in my life and something that I love to share with others as I continue to implement them in my own life, I think is really powerful too. Oh, that's so beautiful. I have to share with you. And I, I think we've had this conversation actually on your podcast is it's one of those things when I started this podcast in one of the first episodes, I talked about his principle and foundation because I love that principle and foundation. And again, that's right. Finding God in everything and that we shouldn't, we shouldn't ask for long life rather than a short life, you know, mm, uh, health yes. or sickness everything is for the glory of God. Everything is for the glory of God. And then as I was teaching and talking about the Billings ovulation method and the way we chart, especially when I was teaching natural family planning for marriage preparation, I would just naturally tell people like, and this is a good segue to move into the exam because the methodology of Billings is you make these notices the sensation of the vulva throughout the day, 
Nobody needs to know what you're doing. You're just mm -hmm. walking along and you're making these notices. You're stopping and reflecting. And then at the end of the day, you look for the most fertile characteristic and you simply write that down. It's mm -hmm. maybe a five minute process. It's not this big, huge dissertation, whatever. And what I have found in my own life and in my own teaching as a fertility coach is that when the woman particularly, but also the husband can practice charting with natural family playing with Billings ovulation method, it does naturally go into the examine. And to me, I think that's one of the big poverties in this day and age is that we go, 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 go. We listen to the radio. We're on our phones. I mean, we have no time. We take no time to stop in silence and we take no time to stop and reflect. That reflection is the gift of the examine. Would you agree with that? Or talk to us a little bit more about the examine, because maybe some of yeah. my audience has heard me talk about the examine. But for me, literally, this is a game changer in your life, I think. Yeah. The reflection piece is so important. And Teresa Vavilo will talk about this too. We need prayer. And I I know we've talked about this before too, like anchor points. So morning mental prayer for me and then the daily examine. And the daily examine I found with clients is often the hardest for them to implement. And sometimes it's difficult for me too, but that's because often we put it at the very last thing that we do for the end of the day, but it doesn't have to be there, right? So you talked about like noticing throughout the day like notice throughout the day, the Jesuits actually would do the examine at noon and then again in the evening. And so it's just the self-awareness of being present and aware of being gracious for the ways that God has worked in your life, taking that helicopter view of everything that's happened and letting the Holy Spirit like draw out the particular aspect that that he desires for you to see and for you to see your life as God sees it, to see yourself as God sees you the good and the bad and the ugly, all of it. Because if we don't recognize the ugly or the places where we were not virtuous, how can we ask God to help heal us of that? How can we ask for the grace to do better tomorrow if we don't even know what we're feeling or why we're feeling it? So like you said, that lack of self-awareness because we distract ourselves from what we are feeling. So just allowing ourselves to see and to feel as God sees us is very helpful. And then also recognize all the graces because so often there are many, many graces, but we tend as humans to focus on the negative and not see all of the beauty of the day. Mm -hmm. So looking at all of those things and then asking God to help us, asking for forgiveness for the ways that we were not great, and then just resolving to do different moving forward resolve to continue our commitments for God. So for me, like the plan of life. And I actually really like in the morning in my mental prayer, one of the things I love about the Ignatian exercises, if you ever do the full exercises, is you ask for a very specific grace. You ask for a particular grace. And so I love asking for that grace in the morning, whether it's one that's from the exercises or something that I just move to ask for from the scripture I've read or something like that. And then reflecting back on that at the end of my day in my examine, because it's measurable. It's like something that you can actually see progress in. And sometimes we think in prayer, like you can't see any progress. You can't set any goals. Well, you can, right? There are still things that you can measure. 
there are still things that you can focus on. Was I kind to my husband today at bedtime for my children when I know I usually am short-tempered and angry, right? Like that's a very specific thing that you can look at and you can focus on for that day. Or like you said, Teresa Lisieux of really like the little ways, like I got blamed for something. Did I lash back or did I just let it go? Those are things that we can measure and things that we can look at. So yeah, I love that you are able to relate this back to Billings and really look at that reflection and look for patterns because when we recognize the pattern, we can disrupt it if necessary. Right. Yes. Or we can celebrate the pattern, right? Mm, yes. Because that's one of the other things is that many times we don't see the growth in the virtue because it just becomes almost like a status quo of this is how we're doing things until something else comes along or because of that reflection, maybe I was able to practice this virtue in this way, in this situation X amount of weeks ago or months ago or years ago, but now who am I here and how much has the Lord taught us to grow? Because one of the beautiful Catholic truths that I heard from Dr. Anders from EWTN Mm -hmm. is the philosophy of gradualism. And it's the idea that we take the one step and we're looking at the journey, mm -hmm. but we don't know how far we've come. Right. And it's such a gradual movement. It's such a gradual movement. And especially in the spiritual realm, like you said, prayer is so kind of elusive, right? Just to piggyback on what you said, you know, seeing that growth in the examine, we always talk about, you know, as humans, we are predisposed to like infinite self-delusion about ourselves. And so we need other people like our spiritual directors, our Catholic coaches, like faithful community to help us see ourselves or really great spouses also are helpful and calling out our faults when we need it. But in the examine, this is an, a place where you can ask the Holy Spirit to help reveal those things to you, but you have to be willing to sit with it and to hear <laughs> what is said back to you, which is sometimes uncomfortable. Right. Share with me a little bit about the difference with a Catholic coach as opposed to a spiritual director. We've brought spiritual yes. direction up many times. How can they both complement each other? Yeah, I think that both very much are needed in our world. You know, we talk about in our, my spiritual direction courses, anyone who has a pulse should probably have a spiritual director, but you have to be ready for a spiritual director. And I think Catholic coaching is a great segue into spiritual direction because it helps you grow in awareness, but it's also a Catholic coach is someone you can continue meeting with while you meet with your spiritual director. I have both, but I think one of the key differences, and I have a podcast episode on this is in spiritual direction, it's more of a long-term relationship. Like this is a lifelong journey to continue to grow closer to God, to continue to grow in holiness. And a spiritual director, if they are well-trained, is able to really help you recognize that discernment of spirits and to help you notice where you're at, not to judge it, just to make sure that you're still moving in the right direction. You're still moving closer to God through that purgative, illuminative, and then hopefully unitive way that not many of us ever, ever reach, but that is the goal. That is the hope. That is my prayer that I will be there one day, God willing. And so a spiritual director helps us with those movements. They help us grow in obedience and having a spiritual director who understands your temperament and what you need, I think is really helpful. A Catholic coach, on the other hand, again, helps us grow in awareness Coaches sometimes are very specific on like what type of goal they are helping their clients with. 
Catholic coaches are typically shorter terms, so you might meet with them more frequently at first, and then it would be just maybe on an as-needed basis. Spiritual directors often you'll meet maybe once a month. Catholic coaches, you could meet every week for maybe 12 weeks, and you set more tangible short-term goals is kind of the way that I see it with Catholic coaches. Also, Catholic coaches, I think, are going to work more on the human formation that opens you up for the spiritual formation that your spiritual director guides you through. So there's 100% overlap, especially in the realm that I'm working in with people's prayer lives. But the spiritual director is going to focus more on the movements of the spirit, on the graces, on your prayer, and really just listening to those reflections. Whereas if I go to my Catholic coach, I'm going to go to them more with my doubt about my business, my doubt about my ability to do something, right? And so maybe I'm having some of those desolation thoughts and they're going to help me identify them and be able to move forward. They're going to help me with some of the self-beliefs that I have about myself and root those out. And as that happens, I'm going to be more disposed to the movements of the spirit and those things are going to help me grow in holiness. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I definitely see it's a complementary and I've just gotten to the point in my own life knowing that we're not just a one-dimensional person. I mm. need to focus on my health. I need to focus on my marriage. I need to focus on my house. I need to focus on my profession. I mean, there's so many assets and so many avenues of who we are and looking for the assistance to me, it's like this board of directors of who's going mm. to be on my board of directors to support me. If I was the CEO, we have a financial planner, we have an accountant, and then we might have a lawyer so that yeah. he can tell us, the tax lawyer is going to tell us what we can do illegally. The accountant's going to tell us what's the benefit, profit, and then the financial person is going to tell us the futuristic aspects of it or whatever. Yeah. And then maybe the director of operations is going to tell us how it's going to get done, right? So mm -hmm. we have all of these support people. So this is how I understand. It's why I recommend a Catholic coach and a spiritual director. But talk to me, because one of the things that I've been observing lately in the past, oh, I don't know, maybe five or six years, maybe even longer, this attitude of a lay person being a spiritual mm -hmm. director and those programs. For a while, I had a nun who was a spiritual director for me, and she actually mm -hmm. had recommended before I decided to become a Catholic coach, like I was discerning where I'm supposed to serve. And she had said, oh, I think you should be a spiritual director. And this is the program I think you should go to and blah, 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 blah. But share with me your thoughts on a lay person being a spiritual director and the benefit of having a lay person versus a priest. Yeah, I think this is an excellent question because I think there are a lot of misconceptions out there about it. Before I jump into that, one more thing about a coach versus a director that came to me as you were talking is a coach limits the distractions. They limit all of the other things that are going on in your head that keep you from being able to pray often. I think they help weed some of that out. They bring out that into your life, into the exterior so that you can kind of navigate it a little bit more so that then when you are going into your prayer life, you're not having some of those anxieties and worries and things that are otherwise going on and disturbing your ability to just sit with God. I completely concur with that as my own witness in my own experience of Catholic coaching and my own prayer life. I've seen it such a compliment. I have a friend who made a comment. I hadn't seen her in a while. 
and we had lunch and she was just like, I see you like a rocket going head on. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> and the um, confidence, I think the confidence to really follow where God is calling you is so much from Catholic coaching, I think has been huge and not just in my life, but in many people's lives, just the courage to go where God calls you. Share with us a little bit about yeah. the benefit of having a lay person, or if someone didn't know about spiritual direction, if someone mm -hmm. has never heard about spiritual direction and is afraid to ask, where do I even start? Yeah. So first of all, I would recommend there's a book by Dan Burke called Navigating the Interior Life. And he talks about what you should look for in a spiritual director, what you want to be wary of. Like one of the very first things he says is if if you are considering going to someone as a spiritual director, ask them about their prayer life. Because if they don't have a prayer life, then that's probably not someone that you want to seek direction from, regardless of what their title is. So I think that that's really important. I would also ask something along the lines of, have they been trained in spiritual direction? That's not to say that there are incredible priests or sisters who are really great directors that have not been trained specifically in spiritual direction. But I do know that there are many priests and sisters who have not been trained in direction and they have no awareness of discernment of spirits and those types of things. And so they may unknowingly give bad advice and that could happen from a lay person as well. So you talked about interior castle and I remember reading prior to that, Fire Within by Thomas Dubay and Teresa of Avila is like, I was terrified to even look into spiritual direction because she is so adamant about how well versed these people need to be to be spiritual directors. And so as I was even considering it, I really wanted to make sure that I found a program that was going to give me a, a rock solid foundation. And, and so I still have a lot of work to do. I still have a couple of years ahead of me, but I think that that is worth noting of something to look into when you're considering a spiritual director. And as always pray, pray for specifically what you are looking for in your director, pray that God is going to place that person in front of you and just be really patient. I can tell you, I've been in spiritual direction for about 12 years, but there was a two year gap in there when COVID hit for me being able to meet my director in person. And then kind of just recognizing that it was time for me to move on to a new director and really praying and praying that God was going to put the right person in front of me that was going to help lead me to sainthood because that's that's my ultimate vision and, and goal is that union with God. So really pray about it. The advantages, I think, of being a lay person, because I will hear this argument of why you should just be going to your priest. And actually, I've had this conversation with my own priest, is why spiritual direction, like people maybe should be coming to their priest. Well, number one, we don't have enough priests to give everyone spiritual direction. They are stretched very thin and pulled. I mean, I live in a diocese where I feel like priests are in abundance and they really are not, but there just simply aren't enough of them or they do not have the capacity to be able to take on people as directees or at least not very many because of all of their other duties. I also think that there is something to be said, especially for females, of having a female director. Sometimes you have to be very comfortable with your spiritual director to be able to be vulnerable and open. That is difficult. Even if it's your parish priest, if you see that person on Sundays, you might not be comfortable opening up if you know them in some other context outside of spiritual direction. So for me, even when I was meeting with my director in person, she was in another town because 
that person is there to be your guide. And is there a friendship that, that forms a little bit? Absolutely. But their role is to guide you. And so there are certain boundaries and limitations that you don't want to cross. But like I said, I think having a lay person, like if I am a mother and I'm exhausted all the time and I have little ones at home, it is comforting to know that my director maybe has been through that same experience. And I had a director like that. She directed a lot of moms. And so she knew the waters of navigation very well for that. She knew what kind of things to look for. So those are things that I think can be really helpful for a lay person. But again, I would look into the training that they've had and what kind of director you're looking for. There are some who are trained in Ignatian spirituality. There are some who are trained in Dominican or Franciscan, and those are going to be different. Like what you get from that director is going to be different. So just kind of maybe explore a little bit what, what kind of direction you're looking for. Oh, that's beautiful. I <laughs> wish I know that. I, I remember when I first went into a spiritual direction, it was back in 94, 95. First of all, we had a spiritual director for our presidium. And then a lot of my friends were using our parish. We were very, very fortunate. We had three priests at that parish. And so one of my friends, oh yeah, yeah, spiritual direction. She was the one that was introducing me to St. Ignatius and the exercises mm -hmm. and it scared me. So I had a spiritual director for a time and then he moved to a different parish and I was continuing, but in my state in life, you know, and yes. that was one of the things that for me in my own journey, in my own life, because my husband was military, we moved off and it was kind of a mutual agreement. This is before computers and right. Zoom and all of those things. Like, sorry, I'm moving to a different state. I can't be your spiritual director anymore. And then, like you said, the state in life with children, I I was very blessed. I found a spiritual director here when we first moved here, but I had to keep counseling because of the babies and things. And But I do remember one of the things that I had had a conversation with that spiritual director per se was many people would say to me, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're doing all these things. And that was the wonder question I had for him. I was like, am I doing too much and I told him, this is the ministries. And he gave me this consolation. He said, first of all, most people aren't doing what they're all called to do in mm -hmm. the Lord's work. So when you're doing what God is calling you to do, sometimes it does look like a quote unquote, a lot. Mm -hmm. And then also we kind of, through our conversation, discern, like I have, it's like a buffet. And he just kind of, I just saw this image of like, I just happened to have a big plate at the buffet, mm -hmm. you may have a smaller plate and our plates are full. And it's kind of one of those things that I personally have like, just use like that image of, of buffet, like, okay, this ministry's done, or this part of my life is done. So, you know, I've eaten the vegetables. Now I'm going to go back to the buffet. And now what else am I going to eat? Or what else do you have mm -hmm. for me? Lord? And it was just a beautiful imagery, but it gave me such consolation in that I'm not overworking. And right. that was over 20 years ago that he said that to me. Now that I've been studying temperaments as Catholic coaching, and I always understood this, but my temperament is sanguine choleric. Mm -hmm. And those are both very, very high energy. So, and especially my husband is phlegmatic and melancholic because opposites <laughs> attract, right? <laughs> so he's a good has, balance, right? <laughs> So I'm going, 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 and yet I'm in the flow and I'm not overwhelmed. And right. so 
thanks be to God, because of this spiritual direction meeting and this consolation, when I hear that from other people, oh, you do so much, or oh my goodness, I can't understand how you get everything done and blah, blah, blah. I just kind of look at them like, well, you're not me. Mm. And that's so beautiful of like, stop comparing. Yeah. That's been a huge thing. We could sit here all day long and talk about this. But first of all, I want to remind our listeners to find you on your own podcast called Persistence in Prayer, correct? Yep. Yes. And then we're going to include in the show notes your website because you are coaching women on how to start what you had called a plan of life. Please yes. So developing and implementing meaningful prayer practices through a plan of life. And there's specific pieces that kind of go into this, but it's designing it around your unique temperament and of course your state in life. And this is like your foundation of where you go when things get crazy and things get chaos. Like these are your commitments and your blueprint for how you want to show up for God each and every day. It's not a checklist. It's not a thing to make you feel guilty. It's something to help you recognize patterns, to hold you accountable. One of the things St. Ignatius talks about with the examine is it's a way for people to grow in self-discipline. And so your plan of life is helping you grow in self-discipline for holiness. And that's what I love about it. And then through those things, as you you develop those and you start to understand where God is calling you, you're going to find, you know, more meaningful purpose. You're going to have a lot more peace. That anxiety is going to be reduced. You're going to become aware of the ways that you can discern through those troubles sometimes. And if you are an all-in go-getter like we are, right, you're going to understand what types of things God is specifically calling you to so that you can still hold your primary vocation, whether that's as a wife, a mother, but still do God's work within that. Because as you said, what things are supposed to be on your plate at the buffet, like you are going to know what things are supposed to be on that plate and what things you are supposed to leave so that you're not miserable. Yes, I love it. And when you go to your website, you also have a free download on temperaments. I downloaded yeah. it. I loved it. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so, so awesome. <laughs> what a great resource. So please yeah, share. So it is the daily examine for every temperament. So it's kind of a quick, brief history on the daily examine of St. Ignatius. I have an acronym there to help you remember it of, of what exactly you're supposed to go through. But I think the the best part of it is if you know your temperament, the questions that are designed for you to reflect on at the end of each day yes. are very unique to your temperament. So if you're a melancholic and you're prone to like, well, I, if I sit down and do this examine, I'm going to ruminate on the way that I was awful today and I'm going to be in self-loathing and all of these things. Well, the questions are going to be more guiding you to look at the fruits of the day. Mm. If you're a choleric and your natural temperament is to think I'm perfect. I don't do anything wrong. <laughs> you know, these <laughs> questions are going to help guide you. Like, did I listen to other people's voices today? Did I make decisions on my own or did I make them with God? Those types oh, of things. So beautiful. really just looking at your, your temperament and some good guiding questions, whether you have a practice of a daily examine or not, these are just good reflection questions. Well, this is just beautiful. And and it did, it really helped me. I was like, wow, where were you so long ago when I tried to, because nobody's ever actually like taught me how to do it. I've right. read some books. I've listened. I'm just one of those people that I've discovered that I just do it and fall and get back up again and do it. And <laughs> But this had really helped me. I was like, oh, wow, this is so awesome. So thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for your yes to the Lord. 
that even though you felt unworthy at the beginning, the Lord has been gradually walking through and showing Mm -hmm. you your gifts and your talents and really how you are uniquely beautiful and also how the the part of the vineyard that you are building the kingdom of God. So thank you so, so, so much. Thank thank you for your time. So ladies and gentlemen, as we close, as I mentioned, one of my spiritual plan of life is the liturgy of the hours. And I love to give you the blessing of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. So let us pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. May the God of peace make you perfect in holiness. May he preserve you whole and entire spirit, soul, and body, irreproachable at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Until next week, have a glorious day, Catholic Divas. God bless you. Did you enjoy that interview? I want to invite you to go ahead and subscribe to this podcast and please write a review. Both Kylie and I would absolutely love to hear your thoughts, your opinions of what you heard today. And then if you really loved it, go ahead and share this podcast episode to someone who came to mind. You have a great day and we'll see you next week.